You're listening to How Do You Decide with Megan Stafford, a podcast that explores how the decisions we make shape us, the crossroads, the difficult choices, and how sometimes the smallest decisions can have the biggest impact. Join me as I meet everyday Aussies and find out about their lives, the decisions that changed them, and how they coped along the way. This week on the podcast... Like a lot of people, I guess at that point, we'd actually nearly run out of decisions that we could make. That's Erica Halliday, known to most as Hap. You'll find out why soon. And as you might've heard from the teaser clip, I met Hap surrounded by what she loves and what she does best, cattle. Hap and her husband, Stu, breed Angus cattle, and she is on the board of Angus Australia. I met Hap at the Armadale show, where we had to stop the interview so that she could compete. She came back with a black beauty that had just been crowned the supreme champion of the show. In this conversation, we discuss dealing with rejection, marching to the beat of your own drum, and strategic planning during drought. Hers is a story of carving your own path and living with the tough choices we sometimes have to make. A disclaimer for this episode. When I decided to make this podcast, I knew that trying to do it perfectly was guaranteed to stifle any action. That it would mean accepting the audio would at times be scratchy, include background noise and interference. So, may this episode's moments of imperfection be inspiration for you to act on that idea you have been nurturing and getting it done, even if it is imperfect. So I'm with Erica Halliday. Hap Halliday. Yes. Now, Erica, why do people call you Hap? Well, there's these birds called Happy Jacks. Yes. And they make a lot of noise and they're really bossy. (laughs) And I got it when I was a baby. So I must have been bossy and noisy from very early on. So my dad gave it to me and it went from happy jack to happy to hap. Of course, because Australians love a shortening. They do. Yeah. Have to shorten it. Yeah, shorten it and shorten it. And so how many kids, like how many were in your family? Uh, only my sister and I. Yeah. Uh, and I have a half-sister as well. Oh, wow. Who I met later on in my life. Oh. So you grew up in the area here or where did you grow up? Oh, it's really sad. Actually, I only grew up in Walker, not far from here. Yeah, yeah. And I went, um, I went away to uni, then I went overseas. and Overseas where? To... The US. I yep. won a scholarship to study beef, um, a wow. beef cattle judging scholarship over to the US. And so I went there and worked and then I just always wanted to come home. And I think the further they pushed me away, the more I was determined to come home. That's amazing. So w- when you went for that scholarship, how old were you? Oh, look, I'd finished uni, so I was about um, 20. I was 21. Was that something that you'd heard about while you were at uni? Like you thought, always thought, maybe when I finish uni? Like... Yeah, I'd tried for it for years and years. And like most things I do, I didn't naturally get it first up, but I'm very persistent and stubborn. So it took me three years to win that scholarship. Wow, so you applied every... I kept like... reapplying and I think they must have gone, oh, God, give it to her. Yeah. I, oh, I don't think that would have been the case, but I think that that's amazing because so often we can just get a knock back and then be like, okay, cool, cool, cool done you know but yeah to- no no I guess I guess I have a different point of view like for me knockback is the normal and then you just go again keep going yeah I love that and so where did you go when, for the, when you won the scholarship um, to the University of Illinois cool yes in Urbana-Champaign yes and it was just a totally different uh, totally different to what I grew up I just come from women's college at Sydney Uni which was very Oh, I guess liberating and, you know, cutting edge and, and women were doing these amazing things. And then I went to the University of Illinois and it was very sexist and it was very racist. And so it was almost like stepping back in my head 30 years and I, I just I couldn't believe it. Yeah. What was that like being part of that then, especially? Um, look, I just, 
Mm. Went, I just went my own way. I yeah. made sure I didn't make a stand. Yep. You know, it was far too big an issue for me to make a stand. But in my own way, I, I made a stand. Yeah. 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 But I think that's, uh, that's something to be said for that as well, like carving out your own space when you mm. around when everything around you. You know, you're like, I don't really want to be part of it, but like having that um, that peace with yourself, I guess, to be able to be like, I'm okay in myself, and I'll just. Yeah carve my own way here. And my dad had always taught me, they always said, march to the beat of your own drum, and I think it's a really good thing. Being brave enough to go somewhere, and, and you know it'll work out, like just, you'll find those people that are your people and, and, and your kin, but you'll, you'll, you can do it in your own way and in your own time, and it, that's, you know, that takes away all that stress of that, keeping up with the Joneses or, or all the peer pressure that young people come across. If yeah. you can just take a breath and say, you know, Actually, I want to go that way. Yeah, mm. just in your own time. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of pressure on kids to, to... They probably have this little map in their own head that that's the way things are going to go. And then if it doesn't, then that puts an enormous amount of stress on people that, that they don't need, need to have. Yeah, but I think that that's what happens. We get tied up in what we should, what life should look like rather than what it could look like and what you might want it to look like, you know? Look, so many people don't sit down and ask themselves the question or paint the picture in their head of, of where they want to be and what they want to do. So many people, are, maybe that question is too hard and so it's much easier to just roll with, roll with, you know, society, roll with culture, roll with the direction that you were talking about, you know, it's sort of unsaid, but um, I used to work for a company called RCS and so part of that was people had to set their own vision. Well it was the hardest thing of all. So I was doing business coaching and I said, right, we need to, for me to understand how I can help you, I need to understand your vision. And they're like, no. Nah. And I'm like, well, what about we write down three words, what you want to be, do and have. And they're like, mm. I said, can you paint a picture? So some, for some people it was easier to paint a picture of what they wanted. But for other people they had never in their whole life questioned where they wanted to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people just go blank as well because there's so much choice and they're like, um, but, or like, well, there's, or too scared to say what they really, what's at the heart of it because, because mm. maybe they haven't seen it being done before or even yeah. just that it might be a simple life and they might think that's too ordinary mm. and that everyone should be extraordinary. Yes, you that's know? so true. It's so, like when someone asks you what you want to do and, yeah. and my daughter's, um, done that at the moment come up with the most elaborate sounding career of all because it shuts people up you know or if you are actually something like doctor police woman nurse so much easier to say that and you get that oh that's great rather than oh look I'm looking at moving into you know um, earth science or something like that and like well what does that make you and yeah. a scientist, you know, you have to... Yeah, where's the security in that? Yes. And um, What jobs are there for that? Yeah, yes. where's the stable right life going to be for you if you do that? Mm. Yeah. I think that everyone, and it makes sense, we're, hu we're only all human, I like feeling safe. Everyone wants to feel safe. And yeah. so what we think looks safe, um, well, what we think will feel safe is what we see. Yep. And so... And, and that's, that's why, from when kids are young, you need to... to you need to tell them it's okay to challenge yourself and that and that feeling of oh I'm out of my comfort zone you know that when you're in that place it's a good place it's a good place to be because you will open up another door that will open up a whole lot of opportunities for you and if you then choose not to do that that's fine too mm. but um, but challenging yourself is really is really important yeah but I think that then 
sometimes like I've found in my own life that like the difficult way, you know, something that you might have a moment of discomfort, yep. but then it gets a lot easier after that. Yes, but I, or otherwise you could go be like, it's just easier to say nothing and tick along like that, but eventually that just will blow up. Yeah, yes. I said to, uh, I said to my son, he was overseas um, and with COVID and he was locked down and most of it, he was on a gap year at a school and most of his cohort came home. And uh, he said, oh, I really want to travel. He said, but I don't know anyone. And I said to him, Jack, I said, if you want to walk off a cliff, I said, just put one foot in front of the other and eventually you'll get there. And he said, Mum, that's really bad advice. I said, it didn't quite come out the way it was meant to, but what I meant was you'll work it out. Yeah. You've just got to put start and you've got to put one foot in front of the yeah. other. Yeah. And I think that we so often, uh, you know, think, okay, well, if I take this step, then I can see down that you think that you know what's going to happen next. And you're like, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Mm. But then there are so many what if. I mean, I guess even you like putting you know yourself forward for the scholarship. And then I bet what you thought you were going to get out of it and what you did get out of it could have been two completely different yeah. things because you can't know. And you just made me think, actually, be careful what you wish for. You know, yeah. sometimes, um, and if you're... The type of person that gets more determined when you get knocked back from something, whether it's a boyfriend or, or you know, a job or whatever, and then you become so single-minded on getting achieving that just for that purpose. Yes. Be careful what you wish for. You know? Yeah, that yeah. is so true. So if you know where you want to be in 10, 20, 30 years' time, you can constantly reflect back on that picture and go, well, is this actually going to head me that direction or is it actually taking me away? And that's a really good way to make decisions and, and define which direction that you want to go. So how, so like if people are like trying to create a vision for their life uh, and they're feeling like they're just listening to you say that and it just makes them feel sick in the stomach and they're like, holy crap, I got nothing. What do you... Work what, out what you don't want to do mm. and work out where you feel happy and you feel at home. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I said before about challenge yourself, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a balancing act, isn't it? Because if you feel terrified your whole life challenging yourself because I have to challenge myself, well, <laughs> no, there's a balance in there. The only reason I say challenge yourself is just to find those new things that make you feel happy yeah. and make you feel settled and make you feel at home, including yeah. the people you're with, the ones you feel at home with. Yeah, well, I guess the, the challenge is just um, having the courage to give something a go yeah. so that you can be like, love it, hate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, not for me. <laughs> not for me, but thanks, I gave it a go. Yeah. But at least you gave it a go as well, you know. I, I think that so many people, mm. um, you know, myself included, like doing this, you know, you wait until it's perfect. Like I want the perfect, like we're here, we've got terrible background noise, but stuff it, let's just do it. And, and Yeah, exactly. Uh, listeners, don't you just love it? <laughs> but, you know, okay, so then... I, so you've gone overseas, you come back and you finally get home? Yes, they finally let me come home. Well, they kept saying you've got to go get a job. So I kept getting jobs, but I have never held down a nine to five job five days a week all my life yeah. because I've always gone, no, I'll go back, I'll do two days with you and then I can go back and I can work on the farm. And I think, I think my parents were secretly happy they wanted to do that, but they didn't want to think that, that they had forced me to make that choice because yeah. my dad was a lot older. And so I guess looking back in hindsight, there was a part of me that's like, oh, he can't do it on his own, I need to help him. But I also just, you know, it's, it's where I felt I needed to be and it's where I wanted my whole future and my family and I could see it all. You know, for me, it was that picture thing. Yeah. And I was happy there. Yeah. Yeah. And so then they finally came around and what? Well, guess she's, guess it's her, her decision. She's here to stay. Yeah, she's here to stay. Yeah. We better make room for her. <laughs> well, they didn't. They kicked me out then. <laughs> Measured up my room for a sunroom and kicked me out. But I was fine. Yeah. <laughs> So where did you go? <laughs> to my sister. <laughs> no, I, I um, well, we went to another house. 
Yeah. yeah. So my husband and I moved into our old, the house that the Steels came from Scotland, so 1860, so it's falling down around our ears, but we've made, that's our home and we've made it, made it wow. home and brought up our family there, so, and taken over the stud. But when we first did come home, um, we didn't want to work from my family, and so we wanted to do our own thing. Yep. And uh, so my husband was vet. Yep. And uh, I, because I'd worked in facilitation and uh, family businesses on farms, I'd seen so many situations where either a husband or wife had come in and married the son or daughter, and things just hadn't worked because they were living someone else's vision. And I, and I didn't want my husband to be the person that was sort of blamed for the gate left open or, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And he, as he says, he had to, he had to walk the walk, his own walk, and he had to prove himself more or less. And so, um, we, so he kept doing his, his vet work and we were, I was working with him down in the Hunter Valley and we were driving sort of three hours down there, living in a horse stable, staying in a horse surgery during, and then driving back home to work on the farm on the weekend. And we started leasing country. Wow. And then uh, one day a man, it was three o'clock in the morning, brought in a Rottweiler dog that had been sick for three days. And the man was drunk and the dog weighed 60 kilos and the dog was angry because it was really sick. And so Stewie was on call and I was his vet nurse. And so I'm lying on the floor trying to hold this dog down that's really angry and it's gnashing its teeth and it's growling and spit everywhere. And I'm laying on him because it's the only way that I can hold him down. It's just saying, hold him, hold him. And he's trying to get a vein, which is quite hard to do. And I remember I've got my eyes closed and and I'm thinking, gosh, why doesn't he just get this vein? And then you only know that someone's looking at you. And I, I look up and I open my eyes and he's not doing anything with the dog. He's looking straight at me and he says to me, I don't want to do this anymore. And I said, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to be a farmer. And I said, great, well, let's do it. But can you get the vein in that dog first? So the next day we quit. Wow. And we went and leased State Forest because we had no money, no land, no cattle. Yep. And so we went and leased the State Forest for basically not much. We took on someone else's cattle to pay the lease fee and to fence the property. And for money, we borrowed to get some money to start. And that was our start. And it was this, um, you know, where I'd come from was these lovely rolling hills and an Angus stud and everything else. And we went into, it looked like something out of Lord of the Rings. So it was a, a pine and a eucalypt plantation. It was steep, it was rocky, it was full of blackberries and black snakes and tiger snakes. And so we threw all these cattle in there and it took us five years to muster them out again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, but over a course of sort of five years, we built up 800 head of the most horrible, you know, I'd come from this stud background, the ugliest looking cattle you've ever seen. And we, might, we decided we were going to finish that venture. So we mustered up as many as we could, walk them in down our main road, which is like, I don't know, you know, it's like dress circle of Walker. Walk them down, there's hairy ones, there's horny ones, there's everything. But we'd, we'd grown 800 head of cattle. Yeah. And so that was our start. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. What was that time like for you? Like, were you ever thinking, didn't think we'd, we'd be here? Or was it just like, it we're was, doing our own thing? So you that felt- That was the thing, you know, we'd gone from these jobs that were really high paying in the vet world. Yeah. But Stu wasn't happy and I wasn't happy. So it was easy money, we were bored, nothing was happening. And then we went to this totally different scenario where we were flat bickies. Um, we had no money and no time and we were the happiest we've ever been because you know it was ours and we were doing something a bit crazy and a bit different and 
I think my parents were like, oh my God, you know, why don't they just come home and run the family farm? It would be so much easier. But it was ours and, and we did it and we made a well, success out yeah. of it. I guess you could call that a success. Yeah. You know, they weren't the prettiest cattle, they weren't everything, but, but we sort of they mastered were yours. it. We yeah. had good horses, we had good dogs back then. And the trees got so big that you couldn't go on your horse anymore because you'd be going after cattle and the tree had knocked you off your horse because <laughs> they'd grown. And so we'd go on foot and we became these forensic experts in dung splatter and, you know, <laughs> to know where the cattle were because they were over sort of, oh, well, 20 square kilometres. Wow. Yep. So <laughs> it was so exciting. And, but we used to come out of this jungle at the end of every day and they're right next to these landscape parkland type farms. And so we'd drive out, we'd had a terrible day, we'd spent all day trying to find cattle and found maybe three. <laughs> and then, you know, we'd drive out and, and go past these beautiful places and we'd just say, don't look, don't look, don't look, you know, hold <laughs> can't the bear line. It, can't bear it, yeah. Mm. But it was, um, you know, you, you were speaking about decision making before and some decisions are we have to do because they're a reaction to something external either good or bad that's happened mm. and and i think that really helps you make a react you make a decision there but you're forced to mm. in this situation with stewie and i i guess we were sometimes you get to a situation where you don't realize how bad things have got and then there'll be a moment of clarity and that holding down that 60 kilo rottweiler dog for us <laughs> was a moment of clarity yeah and it's like you know this is a really safe sensible job that pays well let's throw that out the window and go and lease state forest you yeah. know so but it was a really good decision yeah and then you have other decisions that you try and plan and so this is you know the drought that we had recently so in the interim Stu and I then went and sold all those 800 ugly head bought 200 really nice Angus heifers and started leasing country around the place and, and, and selling Angus Wagyu cross and then we would come home and work with my dad um, on the weekend and help out my parents. And instead of us working for them, we were then helping them out and they helped us out all along. They always supported us, which was wonderful. I think they must have been going, when are they going to be finished with this adventure? You know? <laughs> and, so, um, and so then we got to a position where we could take over the family farm. So we actually merged our two businesses into one bigger business. So the Angus stud on one side and then Stuart and I's commercial heard we'd build up on the other and we merged we merged them together and, and Stu and I took over in 2013 wow yeah so which you know it was it was wonderful it all worked really beautiful beautifully and we had um, my parents as sort of guidance but at the same time we had our own business that we'd merged to it so we felt as though we'd earned the right almost yeah. to come back home yeah which was nice absolutely and I just think it's um, so true that we either decisions, um, you know, can be split like difficult, easy, but also external, internal, reactive, proactive. Mm. So when the drought came along, that was when we tried to make proactive decisions. Yeah. And um, so we would do a lot of strategic planning, which is great. Looks great on paper. And uh, so we had uh, for this drought, we we would set in place these. Um, and was steps. the drought starting like? Like, no, I mean, I, up north it was, you know, from 2012, was it? Yeah. Like when you started in 2013? Here it started to get a little bit worse, worse. a little bit worse. Yeah. And then, you know, as you know, we then moved into the mother of all droughts. Mm -hmm. um, and by then we'd actually successfully sort of built up to a really big number of cattle. And we were like, yes, we've got this, you know. And, um, and it just threw us a curveball. And so we'd done all this strategic planning where you look at, it's a... Um, this could happen, that could happen, that could happen, that could happen, that could happen. And we would always throw in a, what's the worst case scenario? 
So we had like 15 different tracks it could have taken and it just went bang, worst case scenario. And then we went, okay, let's go again from here. What could happen? Bang, 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 bang. Oh, okay, that's worst case scenario. So we And this had, is budgeting? Like, yeah, budgeting, yeah, strategic yeah. planning, you know, what yeah. you take to the bank. We're yeah. like, this is worst case scenario. Yeah. That won't happen. Yeah. Um, and anyway, the last the last um, budget that we sent to the bank was called shit hit fan budget. <laughs> <laughs> and that was about where we ended up. Um, Better than the pie in the sky ones, as um, I have a day job as a banker, yeah. uh, you know, you get the pie in the sky budget as well. Yeah. So. Well, the bank, the bank really appreciated that yeah. one and the name of it. And, <laughs> you know, like a lot of people, I guess at that point, we'd actually nearly run out of decisions that we could make. Um, and I, I, we weren't alone. There were a lot of people in the same way. And so we had this last point that we would reach that we would say, okay, well, that's it. Then we're going to run out of... Um, water, we're going to run out of money and we're just going to have to sell all the cows that are left when the market was just absolutely crap. You know, we've done all these amazing things up till then. I think we made really good decisions and then we're like... And amazing yeah. genetics. I mean, you've got to study, yes. you know, herd, like you're not, you're not back in the state forest with 800 head that you don't care, you know, like yeah. can sell. But yeah. Yeah. We, we'd bought them all into what was left valuable, all into one little spot and, and then we ran out, of, that was when we ran out of water and so we had two weeks of water left. I have to go. This is where Hap left me to go and do her lap with her competition winning cow. Well, we're back and you've just won supreme champion of the Amadale <laughs> Show. So we just had to pause for that. <laughs> Nothing major. That was fun. Yeah. That was lovely. Was that one from the State Forest? Yeah. No, but she did go down to Pakenham, way down the other end of the country on a gismet. Oh, really? To, yeah, that's where we sent the cows oh. to survive. Wow. Okay, so, so, okay, so you've run out of water. Yes, we sent half the cows away, of which one of the ones I just yeah. took around then was one of those. And, um, well, to be honest, we were going to run out of money too. And so uh, what we did, we wanted to just have one more throw of the dice like we do. We'd hit, our, hit our, our end of the line where we said that we would toss in the tail and sell basically the rest of the cows or as many as we could to then go and maybe buy more hay because once you're invested, you're invested. And uh, anyway, we... So you sold half, did you sell, sell half the animals, did you say? Oh, we'd already half sold down to half the okay. herd at this yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. And when we got to the point where we knew that we had two, three weeks of water left for the cows that were left on confinement, we knew we had to make, we had to make a decision. And so we decided that to get them through to that end of the water, we'd try another load of hay. And so we had to sell all our stud bulls to do that, all the ones that I'd bought over the years. And so that was a pretty sad day. And uh, we put them on the truck sent them and then um, we went on holidays and it rained and it never stopped, hasn't stopped. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> please you don't apologise. Yeah, it was, um, you know, but you sort of think to yourself, why does it have to get so bad before things turn so good? But, you know, um, since then, and I think everyone would agree with me, you're just so grateful for everything, you know, little yeah. things like, like this, going to a country show and I will say it's not about winning but I'm so competitive. But it's not about winning. It's about the people and it's about uh, the camaraderie. And you learn a lot of lessons and you think to yourself, well, next time I'm going to know so much better. But I don't know that you do. Because who knows you, what... But, but how, what if it hadn't rained, Hap, you know? You know, you can't... That's the greatest lesson of you can't... What if and... Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like, what... what that's just like rebuilding then as well. Well, I guess whatever happens, it... Um, no matter what happens, you always look back on it and you go, well, that happened. And because of that, then you make really tough, really good decisions. And you probably don't make those really tough, really good decisions unless you're made to. Yeah. And so that's why 
you know, I think then, so we made the decision then to have a mature cow sale and it was record breaking. So we had the um, highest priced mature cow um, in Australia for Angus and um, it was huge. She went for eighty two thousand dollars. So, wow. And yeah, so she was sort of my pride and joy. But the difference there was that they were going into other people's studs and other people's homes and and doing doing great things there. And so from that, our sort of, I guess you look back and that if we hadn't had the drought, we wouldn't have had that sale. If we didn't have that sale, we wouldn't have built the profile that we had and people recognised us because, yeah, you know, being a very old stud and still being around, people going, what, they've been around for that long, you know, which yeah. was my family's history. But... Yeah, and from here on in now, we then decided, well, we're less cows. So we just got in and flushed the hell out of the cows that were left. And I think when we look back in another 10 years, that's going to be the difference. Yeah. And it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had those tough things, you know, happen to us. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, what year did you sell the stud bulls? So the stud bulls, we sold them in um, December and it rained two weeks later. Wait, this so... De- December 2020. 2020. Oh, my 2020, the year. Yeah, so... Oh, oh, this has just happened. Yeah. So we've got their calves coming through now, and people going, oh, wow, I hope you're going to use that L117 bull again. And I'm like, mm, yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> but, you know, we've got the sons, we've got the daughters, and, and um, yeah. So during that time when we... Um, when, when things got tougher and tougher and tougher and we had the animals in confinement, which is like a feedlot, and uh, we'd bought a whole paddock of hay. Yeah. And we, that's how we knew how long that we had. And they'd said to me, oh, watch, watch, make sure the hay arrive, that arrives every week is the same because every now and then they throw in a doozy or they get it mixed up. And anyway, we planned this big AI program. And of course, the week that we had the AI program, the hay arrived and it was the wrong hay and it was rancid and the cows wouldn't eat it. Anyway, a, um, a fellow Angus breeder sent me a B double of hay. Yeah, he's from South wow. Australia. Yeah, a fella called Perry Gunner uh, sent us a, a, a B-double load of hay. And I remember I've never been more grateful and and just it, it was just the most amazing thing that he could have done. And so that got us through that. And as a result of that, I actually went and joined Rural Aid. So I'm on the board of Rural Aid now and they do the buy bail program, you know, which was yeah. so successful. and. Because I know what that feels like to wow. to have someone be so kind to you to do that. How did he hear about it? Just word of um, mouth? Because he must have heard it through word of mouth. Well, I was on the Angus board with yeah. him, and so I just went, "Oh, this happened." And next thing I know, this B double of hay, and I said, "I'll pay you for it." And he said, "No, don't. I don't want you to." Like that's seventeen thousand dollars at that stage of gift yeah. from yeah. So I just thought, well, now a really great thing would be able to do that for other people. You know, yeah. that would be a lovely thing to do. So, you know, going on the Rural Aid Board was... Is so how did you do that? How did you go about that? Well, I actually, um, I, I was contacted by them and they, someone must have suggested me yeah. for it. So they had um, a bunch of really um, corporate type, wonderful people who were doing a wonderful job, but they decided that they wanted a couple of farmers in there. So, yeah. Pick me, pick me. Um, so I was suggested and then I went through an interview process and it was hilarious because um, when the interview started, I had um, up the top, I had like a business shirt, whatever, very professional. Down the bottom, I had like Ugg boots, tracky bums. <laughs> and I had set up in the kitchen where it was all really nice and tidy and I had the fire in the background and it's lovely. And then the lady said, look, the Wi-Fi is not great. Have you got somewhere where the Wi-Fi is better? And I went, oh, we're throwing everything in my office was where the Wi-Fi is. So I sort of picked up the phone. She goes, nice shoes. 
And then I went into my Karami office and it took me ages to set it up. And, yeah, it was lovely. And that says something of them as well, to, you know, to be able to see the human side of people and yes, they want to get involved. What have you? How have you found that experience of oh, being on the board? Amazing. Uh, so they, so I'm on an investment and uh, this investment committee, which I feel totally overwhelmed to be there because I'm there with some amazing guys, um, but I'm learning so much. And I thought to myself, I said to my husband, these people are all just very high-level corporate and I just feel, and he said, just be you. He said, you're actually just being you. And, and so they wanted that rural aspect. and yeah. That perspective. And that perspective yeah. and, and, and also to know how grateful farmers are and what they're... Oh, that's my cow loose. Got it. You got it, girl. Oh, good work. Great recovery. That's, that's your daughter. Girl. Yeah. Plus a people, a people perspective is what they wanted and you don't realise sometimes the things that you that you are naturally good at and I'm mm. good at people. I yeah. like people and I like talking to people and selling a message. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why I'm there. I know. Well, that's what it, everything comes back to at the end of the day, doesn't it? Mm. People. Yeah, absolutely. So were you on the board of Angus Australia? Yeah, during you, the drought as well. Yeah, during yeah. the drought as well. Mm. And so you just heard so many stories as well. Yeah, so many stories. And, um, you know, and things like our herd inventory across Australia just plummeted and... Yeah, just people having trouble paying bills um, but wanting to keep going. And, and just, we're a funny breed, we farmers. We we live in the riskiest environment of all because we rely on the weather and how unreliable is that? And yet we're conservative. So we're conservative people in an incredibly risky market. Yeah. And we are eternally optimistic. Yeah. And while that can be catastrophic, it's also what I almost love about it too. It's a little bit still the wild frontier and it's it's such a beautiful lifestyle and yeah. it's such a, a beautiful way to bring up a family. But you know, there there is a there is there is a future in it. There's a financial future in it there's, and there's definitely so much that farmers have got to offer the planet. Mm. And if anyone's gonna save the planet it's gonna be farmers. Yeah. So I wanna really be a part of that as well. But being at the hands of the weather you can't control that. No. But I think, and I think that what's really great about people that grow up in an environment where you are trying to, you're in an industry where, where there's just a, such a lack of control. Yeah. You get used to that, whereas I think a lot of people try to, we're all people aren't above that either, to try and control everything. But that's what life is, and decision making. You have no. Sometimes you don't have control. Yeah. But the power of being able to make choice when you can. Yeah. And. And also it's that uh, contingency planning and and there's nothing that will make you more humble. If you ever get full of yourself, become a farmer. It is very, very humbling, but very life assuring at the same time. So, um, but yeah, your decision making has to be then very fluid yeah. and very, it's pretty much like life. You have good days and you have bad days and, and eventually. Once it started to rain, there must've been such relief, but then also the devastation of the bulls being gone. <laughs> And what, how did you... Do you know what? When it rained, before, um, before that we used to do things like we'd have these thistles called nodding thistles and, and scotch thistles and it, that was like a war against them and anyone popped their head up and you'd annihilate it and any weed, you know. And when it rained, there was all these weeds came up and we were all like, isn't that pretty? That's so pretty, you know, and we were all just whatever, grateful yeah. for whatever, yeah. whatever was there. Yeah. And I think uh, at the same time then COVID hit then, and it was, you just had this immediate relief that it had rained. I can't describe the relief. It's just, it, 
I don't think I'll ever get it again. And then at the same time, you had that huge relaxation of not having to go anywhere or do anything. I have no commitments. Yeah. So while 2020 was terrible for so many people, and I really feel for those people, um, for us it was it was just this moment of enjoying this golden glow of grass and cattle getting fat and, yeah, the, the family all coming back together again because, of, yeah, it's just, yeah. just lovely. Yeah. but And then how do you bounce back to when you have, like, tough times like that and then you've got to be faced with rebuilding or changing the plan, I guess, well, isn't it? that was our big decision to have a mature yeah. cow sale. Yeah. You know, they, um, you know, that was was a, was a big move, yeah. and um, but it was a it was an, and it was an aggressive move, but it was the right one to do. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, it just led to another opportunity. Yes, another opportunity. So I think that if that if you make really hard decisions and proactively proactive decisions, then you do you see it more as an opportunity yeah. rather than. Are you yeah. someone that have you can make the decisions? Um, you know, it's something that you sort of go inward and look at and talk to yourself about what you, what decision you want to make, or do you find that it's it's something that you want to talk to about? Do you have to bounce off a lot of people to, to make a choice? I mainly um, bounce off Stewie and I, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, and it's one of those things with us decisions. We just we let them sit a fair bit, yeah. Um, and we go about our business, and then we keep revisiting them and seeing how we feel about them. And sometimes it takes you know weeks to make a decision. And sometimes we make a decision that um, I'm particularly bad at facing, so I'll then go into denial. But he's really good at staying the line. He's the more disciplined of the two of us, and so, you know, I'm probably the little bit more creative. But anyway, we work really well together, and so when we make those decisions, and then we put them on paper and we tell somebody, so then we have to commit to them. Yeah, make yourself accountable. So we'll tell the bank manager and go, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And it's like, damn, did we tell him? Yes, do I have to do it? So, <laughs> you know, we verbalise them, we yeah. draw a picture, we announce it, and then you have to do it. Yeah. Tough as it is. Yeah. yeah. And what was something, like you did business coaching and facilitation, what was something that you, you've you taken from all of those experiences and, and, you know, meeting so many people that are trying to come up with their own visions or struggling and overcoming, you know, challenges or how do I face this, how do I... What's the next step? What is something sort of you've taken from all of those moments? Well, the first the first one is going back to um, finding out what really makes those people happy, um, and and directing them that way. And but the thing is, to only people can make decisions for themselves. They have to own those decisions. Um, and so the best that you can do is support them in making those decisions. And the other thing is, you can't fix everything. Yeah. And once you get rid of that idea that everything is perfect and you have to fix everything, then life becomes a whole lot easier for people and I think people become a lot happier with less. Yeah. 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 And when you're saying that, are you sort of more mean that people think they have to fix things as in my life doesn't look how I thought it should, like as in, okay, I don't have the house that I want, mm. like more material things yeah, or defi- like... definitely the keeping up with the Joneses yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and coming back to the march the video around drum what do you want what does what makes you happy yeah and even put the blinkers on in that respect and just you just go for what makes you happy yeah um the more you sit there and you go oh what, what's he doing over there what sort of car are they driving you know yeah. all of that it, I, yeah and at the end of the end of the day the the people that are most content and happy with their lives are the ones that follow their own drum yeah yeah that's, that's right not looking at over your shoulder or mm. trying to keep up an appearance mm. you know this this a lot to be said for making plans on paper and going broke on paper first before you go broke somewhere else. So 
it's actually committing to doing those projections and and then setting setting in place those trips where you go, if I get to that trip meter, we have to make that decision. If I get to that trip meter, I make that decision because we're very good at um, we're very good at going into denial and thinking that something's not happened and just surviving. Yeah. So if we say on this date, if it hasn't rained by then, we make this decision. Yeah, and then sticking by it. And here's our endpoint, yeah. which is like I said, where we got to. Here's yeah. our endpoint, and still break the rule. Yeah. Still tried one more throw of the dice, yeah. but thank God we did. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's right. But I, I also love that how you say that you can't make decisions for other people, but I think it's so easy as humans, it's so much simpler to look at someone else and be able to be like, oh, this, 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 but to turn that focus on yourself. And you, you can't see, we've got all got so many blind spots mm. when it comes to ourselves. Mm. And I think that that's like the real challenge because you can't be looking out at other people and trying to solve everyone else's problems. Yeah. Can you? No, you have to own. You have to own your own problems. You have to. Um, you have to own up to them, and and then you have to fix them, fix your own problems. But um, yeah, I just you know in in deciding which direction that people are going to take business wise, personal, you know, in regard to relationships and all those types of things, and then you can't force anyone to do anything. The beautiful thing about it is we're all different, and we all you know, need different things and yeah, it's the way the world works. Yeah. Have you seen um, in your work, like with coaching and things, a massive transformation or sort of change of heart of, of people? Of like oh. they've come, turned up and been like, nah, don't want to listen to this really and, or, you know, I'm really struggling and then... I've, re- I've really seen that working with um, RCS was a wonderful thing um, because the, they were, everyone would sit on the board of say another five or six other businesses yes. and the first thing they would they would do is that they tell them a little bit about themselves where they wanted to go that whole vision stuff and then they get around to analyzing each other's business and pretty quickly you could identify those people that weren't living their true life and so rather than people would just keep asking them questions and the more those people answered those questions the not truthfully or yeah. it became apparent and and you know, under the scrutiny of all those people saying, "But you said you wanted to do this, and this is what you're doing." You know, there's a big gap between here and there, mm. and identifying mm. that for people. And sometimes they go, "You know, I never realised that I'm doing that because I'm pleasing my mother-in-law and pleasing my." Yeah, so that was really very powerful. That must be so difficult too, because rural rural life, you know, or rural businesses is so much tied up with family, and so phew, that's a big one to you know to realise you're doing something and. and that you know, if you want to make a, dip, a decision for the business, that it might up some, upset someone in the family. Yes, they're the toughest of all. Yeah. I think probably fruit businesses and and businesses on the land because they're mostly family run. Yeah, you know, and and what's really important within those businesses, the ones that are the most successful and the happiest, everyone within that business has a special role mm. and a role that they love. Mm. Um, and those are the businesses that I found to be the most vibrant. But the ones where people didn't know whose role it was to do that, you know, everyone's treading on each other's toes, no one knows who's making the decisions. And so that roles and responsibilities was huge there. Yeah. And, and, a, and a joint where everyone had common goals and they had a common direction where they're all going towards, everyone had different roles and responsibilities within the business, they flew yeah. and they were beautiful businesses to be involved with. Yeah. Mm. And what's your, like, what's the new vision? Do you, you and Stu sit down and, like, uh, does the vision change? Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And it's, 
it's great to go back and look at where you what you wanted to and you know sometimes you think oh what have I done with my life and then you go back and you write you've actually if you've written down what your goals and your vision were you go I damn I did that yeah God damn good on me you know so um, yes it's constantly evolving because I don't think we ever see ourselves living beyond or I don't like 10 20 years long yeah. time but now we're sitting here thinking oh, what happened we turned 50 and you know are we gonna, you know, starting to think about retirement and things like that, and and yeah, so that's that's a whole another one. And you always think you're going to have young kids forever, and people say to you, "Oh, they'll grow up so fast," and you think, "Oh, you know nothing." <laughs> but um, but they do, and next thing you know, we're looking at you know our kids going off and having their own lives, and yeah, yeah. And I think I think that um, that's another part of the decisions, isn't it? Of, making a decision about your identity and that your identity isn't fixed. It's so important. And I find uh, with a lot of the men that I've worked with over the years, a lot of them, um, their identity is tied up with what they do. Yeah. Um, And, you know, particularly, and it's being capable and all of those things that they strongly identify with. And it's really difficult for some of those men. It is difficult for those men to retire unless they have something else that they've fostered through their life that they love or a hobby or it's really important for them to find something other than what they do that mm. they love. Women for all are, of us. Yeah, yeah all think? of us. Women, I tend to find, are, are sort of better at it because women oh, turn themselves to yoga. They go to a pottery class. It is. Yeah. Men don't so much. Yeah. But I think that women are just maybe a bit more intuitive and, and, yeah. and or that we're more willing to accept that we, we need more like that time. Yes. And we still get to nurture yeah. a lot. And I think that uh, fulfills a very... A, core need in us and as we get you know the grandmother the all of that it just it it circles around and and we still feel this nurturing role and this the need to be needed is very strong i've found in people as you get older and so and women automatically have that in a nurturing role but i i just wish it was and do you think that men looks for it because they want to be helpful like they need to be needed is that they put themselves in the business and like throw themselves at the business because like you know and that traditional so that, role and a lot of them throw themselves into the physical side of the business yeah. which then becomes non-sustainable as they get older but if mm. they throw themselves into the the patriarch the the knowledge the the power so if they throw themselves into a role of mentoring the younger generation mm. then they still get that need to be needed and that's what my father was for me so he was um you know you go to him for advice on something he still tried to be physical you know 92 yeah. trying to strain fences <laughs> and stuff but good on him but yeah, I think for for men, it's just as important for them to be to be needed, and they are. Like if they've got so much experience and so much knowledge and wisdom, and yet we get to share it a lot of the time. So. That's so true. I haven't really thought of that that need to be needed, but I think maybe then that's why it's evident when there is an empty nest, and you've got to you know reframe that you're not just a mother, you know that and that we're, we're, that need to be needed. Yeah. Like Where's that going to come from now as well? Yeah, well, helping other people, isn't it? So that's a yeah. wonderful thing. Turn around and you help other people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, help people help themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's the greatest. I know, and you always feel good helping people. Like you, and you always get something out of it. You might be thinking that you're helping, you know. Yeah. You're doing something for them, but it actually comes back. It's a wonderful it? kick. It's like the greatest kick. So mm. I guess in a way, it's sort of selfish, isn't it? But I know there's no <laughs> there's no selfless good deed. That's what like Phoebe says on Friends. Um, but yeah, my brother-in-law has a saying: "No good deed goes unpunished." Which <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> no. Yeah, 
No. You, have to, you have to do it for the. You have to do things for the right reasons. Yeah, and I guess to wrap up, I'd love to sort of just think daily. What What do you do, Hap? To you know, when you get up, are you like, "Yep, today I'm doing this," or how far out are you focusing to sort of? Ah, oh, the calendar. The calendar in our family is <laughs> all encompassing. So we have this big whiteboard, and we've had the same one for like thirty years. So it's now this sort of murky grey that gets, and. The calendar goes up on there, but along the side goes the things that we want to achieve. Yeah. And some of them stay there for a very long time as each month sort of comes and goes. And eventually we go, oh, yeah, I have to address that. But uh, Stewie and I both are very busy and quite often we plan things on the same day. So it's the calendar is king. That big calendar in the kitchen is yeah. king. Whoever gets it on there first wins. <laughs> and we have to do that. So um, Have you ever wiped anything of Stew's off the whiteboard? get in first well the thing is um it's such an old whiteboard that everything gets ingrained into it so to get it off you practically oh. need to chip it out with your teeth so even if you've tried to rub it off with a method it's still it's like it's, there. it's still there okay yeah. it's still there it's a tattoo okay gotcha. you know that time in the morning somewhere between sort of one and three mm. i wake up and that's when i organize everything where everything's going to go because if you ask anyone they'll tell you that i'm pretty laissez-faire i roll by the seat of my pants and but what they don't know is that between one and three, I, it's a very organised brain in there. Yeah. Just things go a little pear-shaped once I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to leave space. You know, like that, I think that that approach of going with the flow, you need that because otherwise, yeah, boring that. and also you, you can't take the knock, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You've got no space. Yeah. And I have a little compartment, which is the cattle, where I'm a complete Nazi and control freak. It's yeah. just this one little section of my life, and I think that that just exhausts that part of my brain, and I just let everything else go. <laughs> I love that. We just have to find our little Nazi compartment, um, create a vision, yeah. and uh, you can be control freak oh. here, and then just let the rest go. I know people that know me in the cattle world, and they just go, well, she's a Nazi and a control freak. And, she... and then other people go, no, no, you're not talking about the same person. Like, But, yeah, it's true. But you can be, that's what I love about people, you can be so many different things. Yeah. You're not just one fixed quantity. Yeah. It's all going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's Happy been holiday. a pleasure. Thank it's you. It's been, so been nice. lovely to meet you, and I think it's a wonderful podcast series that you're doing. Thank I can't you. wait to hear the rest of it. Thanks so much, Hap. I'm sure you can understand now why Hap got her nickname. Happy was certainly a keyword throughout our conversation. Thanks again, Hap. I'll be back next week with another episode of How Do You Decide? Until then, make good choices.